This episode of Undercommon Taste is sponsored by... This audio battle brought to you by My Sound Elf, a tabletop RPG mobile app built for players and GMs. Download now in the app stores. Now this I can handle! Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Whatever you cannot conquer, circumvent. But do not compromise yourself for the sake of the urban jungle, because concrete does not sympathize. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today is an episode that we have been working towards for a very, very long time. Yes, uh, we, I mean, we've been hating on the Ranger class in D&D 5e for a while now. And so we have finally gotten enough together to where we can talk about it and try and fix it the way that we think it needs fixing. This is one of those things we had talked about even back in our first initial episodes when we did our play tests is we really wanted to consider reworking the Ranger, but we would have had to build pretty much the class from the ground up. Really, the Ranger, unfortunately, is the bastard child of fifth edition, which is a little sad because in other editions, it was a fairly strong class. I love the conceit of the ranger class. My first ever character that I created in D&D was a half-elf ranger. I love the aesthetic of it. I love the tropes behind it. I mean, come on, the archetypical ranger is Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Or Drizzt. You know, Drizzt, as you know, people say properly, but I like saying Drizzt just to bother people. But again, Aragorn, a great example. I do think ranger is one of those classes that new players are quickly drawn to because yeah you can be that solo type person you do have that concept of aragorn you get the awesome you know animal companion and then you get down to the mechanics and the mechanics especially in fifth edition just are clunky they don't work and they really while trying to streamline combat and how things work in fifth edition they really kind of defanged your beast companion and therefore a lot of the utility of the ranger as well absolutely yeah We're going to get into this a little bit once we start actually going through the nuts and bolts, but I really feel like the animal companion, the beast companion, really should be a class feature as opposed to an archetype feature, because as of right now, rules is written, only the beast master gets an animal companion. Right. Yeah, the swarm keeper gets a swarm, but the swarm does different things. It doesn't act like a swarm. Right. And it allows for other various mechanical things that the animal companion in the Beastmaster Ranger doesn't. And we're not going to be diving into the Beastmaster Ranger. I think that that is a lost cause at this point, especially since MCDM has released the Beast Heart class, which is a complete rework of the Beastmaster Ranger. And it includes additional pets that you can have as animal companions. It includes modified rules for your animal companion. And that is something that I hope to get a copy of at some point. And we can sit down here on an episode and go through it and talk about some of the things that they do in there that modify the base Beastmaster and make it feel good. Right. Basically, what it came down to is in 5th edition, the animal companion or the bestial companion became a glorified familiar. Yeah, you could use your action to let your beast companion attack instead of you, which I think really pulls back just because that beast companion cannot do as much damage as the player can initially after like second level. It became really, it fell very flat. But again, we will not spend an entire episode harping on these flaws. And another thing is, if you compare what you can do with your beast companion to what a 
sorcerer or a wizard can do with their familiar or a warlock or what an artificer can do with their construct or even what say a druid can do with conjured creatures it is so far behind on the curve compared to everything else it really is yeah no they fell way off that power curve now tasha's did make some variant rolls and they tried to throw some extra supports in which helped but it didn't quite go all the way through. The other thing in 5th edition that I think they really did the Rangers dirty with was the changes to favored enemy. They made favored enemy basically useless in 5th edition. I mean, you could track your enemy and stuff like that, but compared to 2nd edition, 3rd edition, where you got bonuses to attack and damage and stuff like that, it's just, it's icky. Yeah. So on that note, let's go ahead and dive in and get started because favored enemy is a first level ability. So that is somewhere where we can jump right in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is the first thing listed in the player's handbook. So that makes an ideal place to start. Look at that Um, segue. Look at it. (laughs) So yeah, so you get to choose one type of enemy from a bunch of different creature types or two types of humanoids. And you get advantage on wisdom survival checks to track them, as well as on intelligence checks to recall information about them and you learn one language that they speak if they speak any and you get to pick a second one at sixth level and a third one at 14th level now on the surface that sounds okay and as a first level that's fine ish but like i said if they wanted to do this i think they should have let this favored enemy build with the character maybe do favorite enemy level two level three with the archetypes perhaps Because like I said, in 2nd edition, 3rd edition, you got extra attacks against your enemy or you got extra critical range because you knew how their armor worked or you just got straight extra damage or you got an extra attack just because you hated them so much because they were, in fact, your favorite enemy. And now it's like, yeah, they're somewhere over there. I can find them, sure. Right. Just the last game I was playing right before COVID, you know, I had a player that played a ranger and she was used to playing a third edition. And so she went and her favorite enemies were kobolds. So she came up against a kobold. She's like, so what extra damage do I get? I'm like, you don't. She's like, well, what does favorite enemy do? You can find them in the forest. (laughs) You know, you you can speak their language. And she was so disheartened because again, that was a great skill to have in previous editions. Yeah. And in Tasha's, they did offer a variant to that called favored foe, which you get to basically mark one of your favored enemies and each turn, whenever you attack that enemy that you have marked, you deal extra damage to them. That's just a glorified hunter's mark, though, and it doesn't it is. quite go the same. I mean, it's a little bit... And it also requires concentration, so you can't use it along with hunter's mark. Right, and so uh, a little better, but still, it's like getting diet soda when you want real soda, and it just doesn't taste right. It's close, but not quite right. <laughs> so I had been playing with this for a little while, and I initially wanted to just flat out allow you to add your wisdom to attack and damage rolls against your favorite enemy. And that seemed a bit much. So the option that I came up with that I implemented in my urban ranger that we're going to be talking about in the second half of the episode was what I call the quarry die. So instead of you gain advantage on survival checks to track and instead of getting advantage on intelligence checks to get information on them, you get an extra die. It starts off as a D4, and it follows the progression of a cantrip, so it becomes a D6 at 5th level, a D8 at 11th level, a D10 at 17th level. And what you can do is, once per turn, on an ability check or on an attack roll against your favorite enemy, you can add that die to your D20. And if you hit, then you also add that die's result to the damage. I like that. Now, again, I think maybe adding a D8 or a D10 at the higher levels might be a little much. But you only get one attack per, per turn. turn. Yeah, that's fair. I and if like you that. use it on attack, you don't get to use it on, say, a perception check or on a knowledge check of some sort. No, I like that. And it does fit because, again, this is your favorite enemy. You're not going to know how their armor works. You're going to know how their fighting style works. So that bonus to attack makes sense. You're going to know their movement patterns or what they're going to do. So that makes sense for your investigation checks. So, I mean, this extra die does make a lot of sense, and I like it. And I guess if you're at 17th level, an extra, you know, 1d10, it's going to average to about a 5. Isn't going to swing that battle too terribly far once per turn. So I'm good with that, actually. It's going to make it more likely that you hit. Yes. And whenever your weapon is only, let's say you're using a longbow, your weapon's only a D10 anyway. Right. And then, I mean, really, it's letting you throw more dice on the table, which D&D is really about anyway. So I'm all for more dice. Yeah, no, I like it. 
And the other thing that I wanted to include in this is whenever you gain a level, you can take one of your favorite enemies and swap it out for something else. I like that too. Kind of like some classes can change their known spells, you know, at certain points. Yeah, Rangers are one of those classes. Right. No, I like that. And you can... Because you're not always going to be fighting the same things. No, exactly. No, I like that a lot. And your favorite enemy should evolve with the campaign. I mean, if you're from this little podunk village... No, I am not doing proper character possession in my games. I want single, faceted, (laughs) simple characters, food good... Fire bad, smash with a hammer. That's what we're going for. No, I don't story in my RPG. No, that that's unheard of. So, I mean, if, <laughs> if you're from this little podunk village where the biggest threat is beasts, and so your favorite enemy is beasts, you know, you got like wolves and bears and stuff that are you have to keep out of town. By the time you hit like 10th level, you're not really running into many beasts anymore. Unless you're fighting a druid campaign. Yeah. But then you get the ability to, say, switch beasts over to dragons because you've started encountering dragons. And so you're starting to learn about dragons so that you can fight them because the first one you ran into kicked your ass. You hate beasts, but you hate dragons just a little bit more. And that's one of those things where it makes sense because if you're not fighting the beasts all the time, your skills at tracking them and at hunting them is going to wane. It's going to atrophy a little bit. So it does make sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I like that mechanic. It does make a little bit more record keeping, but it's fairly simple because, I mean, everyone's rewriting their characters at level up basically anyway. Right. So, yeah, no, that that fits. All right. Let's continue on. All righty. The other ability that you get at first level is Natural Explorer. That gives you your favorite terrain. I actually like it as it is written. Yeah, that's a good one. That one's a good one. You're not slowed by natural difficult terrain. Uh, You can travel stealthily at normal speed. You get bonuses to forage. This is one of the things where the ranger actually shines through because with Natural Explorer, actually difficult terrain doesn't slow your group's travel. And that's actually a good benefit for the entire group. It is one of the few things, like I said, where the ranger actually kind of shines. And Tasha's did have a variant to this one too called Deft Explorer, where at first level you get expertise with one of your skills and you get two extra languages. Which Um, if you were doing an urban campaign and you were just wanting to do official published material, I would actually take that instead of doing the Natural Explorer because you're not actually out in the wilds. Right. For an urban campaign, that would shine. Or even if your character is in the middle of different realms or different countries where you're going to have a lot of intermixing. Yeah. Or if you're doing something like a Planescape campaign where you're bouncing from plane to plane. Right. Or anything where you're not going to be in one type of terrain for a large amount of time. That I was going to say, but even just being able to hear or understand you know, different languages. If you're in a tavern and everyone's speaking a different language, but you can eavesdrop just a little bit, that actually can be a fairly large benefit if your DM's thinking that far ahead, or even if it hasn't, well, they're speaking that, well, I've got this, you know, and that's one of those things where, okay, cough up some information, man. DM, info now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. At second level, you get a fighting style. The base default fighting styles that you get are archery, defense, dueling, and two-weapon fighting. That's not fighting, it's slapping with style. (laughs) And then in Tasha's, they added blind fighting, which gives you blind sight to 10 feet, druidic warrior, which gives you two druid cantrips, and thrown weapon fighting. Those cantrips could be pretty beefy. Oh yeah, I like all that. I added a couple to my urban ranger, and we'll talk about those when we get there. Spellcasting. Rangers get spellcasting starting at second level. They don't get any cantrips because they're a half caster. So they get the same progression of spells and spell levels as the paladin and the artificer do. I'm good with that. No complaints. Uh, There's a few extra spells that are added to the ranger list in Tasha's. Things that do make sense. So like entangle and enhance ability and dominate beast. All those were added to the ranger list. Summon Beast, Summon Elemental, again, if you're out in the wilds, those do make a fair amount of sense. Magic Weapon, I do like the fact they get Magic Weapon in Tasha's, and again, that kind of leans a little bit back towards more some of the Drist type things, where, you know, he had that natural drow magic and was learning it as he goes. Which, if you want to go and explore some good old 
old-fashioned D&D lore. The early Drist novels are good. Some of the things in there don't translate to modern culture too terribly well. Salvatore has addressed those, and I think he addressed that very well. Understand these books were written, I think, in the 70s early 80s but otherwise the stories are pretty good so i mean go do some reading always good great stories to bring to your table ideas you can kind of play with your characters and again these are some of the fundamental foundational lore for a lot of what you see in dd today yeah all right moving up to level three the basic one is primeval awareness primeval awareness really is not great it is very underwhelming you blow a spell slot and for one minute per slot level you're aware of any of the following within one mile aberrations celestials dragons elementals fae fiends and undead you know they're there you don't know where they're at you don't know how many you don't know where they are in relation to you and this is within one mile or within six miles in favored terrain so you know you could be out in the middle of the forest and set this off and you can get Celestials, Dragons, and Fey. Oh my. <laughs> you know that they're out there. Great. You know that I, they're within six miles. Could have guessed that on my own. Thanks, DM. <laughs> yeah. Really? There's beasts in the forest? You don't say. Thanks, dude. Well, beasts Thanks. aren't one of the ones that you can no, do. Okay. So my modification for that is, first off, you don't have to blow a spell slot for it. You can use this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per day. Okay. Whenever you use it, it gives you that basic, you're aware of any of those things. Okay. And you are able to determine a general direction to each of them. So, so like this somewhere over there. that way. Okay, great. Yeah. In a general northwesterly direction, somewhere off that away. No, that's fair. But you can also choose to blow a spell slot to focus. So you, if you blow a spell slot, you can choose to focus on one of those creature types. Okay. And it gives you a more accurate direction and it gives you a rough distance. So within, say, 100 feet. I like that. And again, it's not quite a whole spider sense. If you're blowing a spell slot, it's almost like having clairvoyance or clairaudience for a bit. So yeah, that has a good thematic feel to it. And then it would last for a number of minutes equal to your spellcasting ability modifier plus the spells level. If anything, I would change it to add that if you go ahead and blow a spell slot, you could get an idea of number like 1 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 50, you know. So, I mean, the strength of the field would kind of give you a rough idea of the number of critters that you're looking for as well. Okay, yeah. Um, I think I would be that. fair. Yeah, but I like it. I would say that you have to get closer. So, like, say, within... Within half a mile? Yeah, or even less than that, within, say... 300 yards because that would be roughly one sixth of a mile. Yeah. So about a city block roughly. Yeah. That's what 900 feet. Yeah. Within a thousand feet. I think locate object has a range of a thousand feet. Yeah. That works then. And that falls in line with previous mechanics. Yeah. So you can tell number if you're within a thousand feet. Okay. So let's go ahead and use freedom units. So within what, how many football fields? <laughs> Three football fields. Yeah. Well, a thousand feet is freedom units, James. Yes, it is freedom units, but you got to use weird things for freedom units. It's 300 meters. <laughs> All right. Again, Tasha's gave an option to replace primeval awareness called primal awareness in which you get an expanded spell list because the rangers in the player's handbook did not get an expanded spell list, but just about every other ranger that has been published since does. Yes. Yeah. So you would get speak with animals at third level, beast sense at fifth level, speak with plants at ninth level, locate creature at 13th, and commune with nature at 17th. <sighs> and these are all spells for gleaning information from the environment. Right. And while I understand this is very much a druidic role. I'm not saying that rangers want to be druids, but yeah, they're a little sad they can't turn into animals. <laughs> Where's my wild shape? And one other thing to note is that they can cast each of those spells once per day without using a spell slot. That is a nice bonus. I do like that one. So that way you can use this spell and get an actual concrete bonus. A benefit that you can definitely see because... If you're going to use speak with animals, you're not going to cast it unless there's an animal there to speak with. Right, exactly. Whereas with primeval awareness, you could blow a spell slot to use your primeval awareness, and then there's nothing 
in range that sets it off. Right. Yeah, you could totally. And then you've just blown a spell slot for absolutely nothing. Right. So this does give a much better and more intentional feel to it. Yes, absolutely. So at fourth level, you get your ASI starting in Tasha's. Whenever you get an ASI, you can change your fighting style, which is something that we've always advocated since we were talking about the champion fighter way back in like episode three. Yeah, way, way, way back then. And again, I have to deal with that character evolving and growing over time. Just that single faceted character. Fun sometimes, but after a while, they get a little boring. Yeah. Fifth level, you get your extra attack. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. At sixth level, you're going to be getting an extra favorite enemy and an extra favorite terrain. If you take the Deft Explorer, which replaces your Natural Explorer that gives you your favorite terrain, at sixth level, you get Roving, so you get plus five feet to your walking speed and gain climbing speed and swimming speed equal to your walking speed. I'm okay with that. Next up, Lands Stride at eighth level. Moving through non-magical difficult terrain costs no extra movement. Uh, You can pass through non-magical plants without being slowed by them and without taking damage from them if they have thorns, spines, or similar hazards. And you gain advantage on saving throws against magically created or manipulated plants that impede movement, such as the Entangle spell. If you're doing a jungle campaign, this would be a huge, huge bonus. Or even going back to when we did World Build with us and we had the Bloodthorn Basilisks and yeah. the creatures there, something like that, this would be an amazing ability to have. That said, I've come across a handful of campaigns and scenarios where there was this kind of damage of, you know, having to walk through a briar patch type thing. It would be up to the DM or knowing your DM or having an idea of what they're planning on doing for this to come up. Again, right scenario, this could be great, but I personally don't see this scenario popping up too terribly frequently. The issue is that it is specifically non-magical difficult terrain and things involving plants. Plants, yes. So that means that like, if you're having to scramble up a pile of scree, you know, a bunch of sharp, jagged shell stones trying to get up a hill, you don't get that bonus. You get the movement through non You get the movement terrain. bonus, but you don't get the bonus to avoid damage. Right. And again, so it depends on how comfortable your DM is or how much they've DM'd. Like if they're in their first couple of sessions, most newer to middling DMs don't really deal out difficult terrain too often unless they play other games like Warhammer or something like that where terrain effects are yeah, much more Something prevalent. very tactical. Right. So... Again, knowing your DM, knowing the type of game you're sitting down to, this could be either like a huge blessing or a complete waste. Uh, Yeah. I do like that. Again, you have advantage or saving throws on plants that are magically created that try to manipulate you. So like things like Entangle or if you have like some living plants or magical plants that try to grapple you, you could argue for that. As a DM, I think that would be a good argument. That would be things like Entangle and Spike Growth. and Right. But again, it's not going to affect a magical, difficult terrain that is not plant-based right i was thinking if you were attacked by like a magical plant or it's like a plant that has given life again as a player i would argue and as a dm i would take it into heavy consideration but again these are extremely situational i don't know again this could be an amazing ability to have or it could be a complete whiff it's a real hard coin flip because it goes either way there's not a lot of middle ground yeah if your dm isn't using plants this is a complete waste of time yeah pretty much So this is very much dependent on your DM giving you things to use your abilities on. Right. And if you are the DM and you have a player that is a ranger, this is one of those things that you do want to kind of start throwing or seeding into your campaign so your ranger does feel useful. We take a lot of this from the player side and like, hey, here's this great ability I have. I can and can't use this. As a DM, consider what your players can and can't use. So if you're in the middle of a desert or you're in an urban jungle, as it were, and you have a ranger and you have no way to use plants, maybe throw a druid with an entangle spell just to give your ranger player that utility. Or, you know, put them in a greenhouse. Yeah, conservatory, do like a whole clue thing. That'd be a, that'd be a perfect place yeah. to hide a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. All right, continuing on at level 10, hide in plain sight. This one is another one that is absolutely trash. <laughs> Basically, it lets you spend a minute to cast Pass Without Trace on yourself without a spell slot, but you can't move. Because if you move, it goes away. 
Right. Again, this is super situational. If you were stalking out to eavesdrop on somebody, you're hiding in an office somewhere, you're hiding in a tavern, and you're waiting for people to pass by so you can gather information. You might use this once or twice in a campaign if that, because again, yeah, you can't move. It's kind of like, what is it, Shadow Meld and WoW, but it takes a minute to take effect. So you'd have to plan this beforehand. It could be if somehow you got separated from your party and you had to hide out until your party got back to you. Not a bad way to do that. Maybe the table player, you know, the actual person has to maybe take a week off and can't come back. So they set this up that I'm going to use this and hide without a trace. And that could be a way in story that they are going to hide out while they miss the next session or something like that. Kind of wonky, not the best skill. So the first thing that I would do to modify this is allow you to use this on other people. So for starters, change it from create camouflage for yourself to create camouflage for yourself or a willing creature. Okay. I mean, because it's still going to take a minute to apply it per creature. So yeah, you can disguise the whole party, but it's going to take you five, six minutes to do it. Okay. And they still can't move. And they still can't move. That would be great if they were trying to set up like a roadside ambush. I would love that. Yeah. And I would say that if they move, they have to successfully use their action to hide in order to get the benefits again. Okay. So that way, you know, they could pop up and attack and move, but then they would have to find a place. They have to break line of sight, use their action to hide, and then... Once they've used their action to hide, then they can get that benefit again because they're like, where did he go? Right. No, I could see that. I could see this too would be really good at 10th level. It'd be kind of hard though. But if you blended this with, you know, your rogue, so you could get that hide and then a sneak attack would be no. Cause I mean, if you take a couple extra levels in rogue, you can hide on your own anyway. So maybe not. Yeah. Maybe uh, not so a much. A second level with cunning action, you get to hide as a bonus action. Yeah. No, I do like being able to use it. I would almost want to do this either as a minute or as as a reaction or an action, but make it where you could tie it to your ability modifiers, kind of like your channel divinity for your clerics. We could only do it so many times per rest. Right. And I can see that you can only disguise a number of creatures equal to your proficiency modifier. Yeah, I would like that. That would make more sense. Because again, by the time you hit level, what, level 16, 17, you can get a plus six. Yeah. So that's most of your party. At level 10, I think it's a plus four. So that's, again, still... Not maybe not your entire party, but most of it. No, that fits. Just tie it to your proficiency modifier, I think. And then with Natural Explorer, you would get another favorite terrain at 10th level. Or if you're taking the Depth Explorer, you get Tireless, which allows you to give yourself temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your Wisdom modifier a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus as an action. Okay. And in addition... Whenever you finish a short rest, your exhaustion level, if any, is decreased by one. So you get to drop off exhaustion levels at a short rest instead of as a long rest. That's a huge benefit if your DM likes using exhaustion because exhaustion just hits hard. It does. But again, that is going to be very DM specific. It is. Because I know in my games, a lot of time it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to try and use exhaustion rules because they're able to get to a place where they can rest reasonably easily and they don't accrue that next up is another one that is very underwhelming vanish at 14th like level vanish. okay i like this one you can hide as a bonus action you also can't be tracked by non-magical means unless you choose to leave the trail yes but you can hide as a bonus action which a rogue can do at second level granted but the rogue can be tracked True. That not being able to be tracked, I think, is nice. Now, at 14th level... I don't think that it's 14th level nice. No, it's not 14th level nice. It is nice. It's not that shiny. I would bump this down to, like, 6th, yeah. maybe 3rd. But it is nice. I mean, I would take this over hide in plain sight. Yeah. So the modification that I would put on this is whenever you hide in natural terrain, other creatures have disadvantage on perception checks to spot you. Okay. And if you use the hide action in your favored terrain, you become invisible until you move or take an action. Yeah, or just guarantee success on a hide in your favored terrain. Well, I mean, that's what becoming invisible. Invisible, okay. And then as soon as you move or take an action, you are visible again. Okay. So as long as you are stationary, they can't see you. I'd be good with that, yeah. At 18th level, you get feral senses. So you get blindsight out to 30 feet. And, you know, that is very useful it is very useful again i don't know if it's 18th level nice but it is kind of nice 
Yeah, this is more 14th level nice, I would say. I mean, this is basically the equivalent of a third edition feat, which again, blind fighting is not. But if you already have blind fighting anyway, if you picked it up either through a feat or through some other means, this becomes fairly useless for you. Well, it expands your blind sight from 10 feet to 30 feet. 30 feet, okay. If you have the blind fighting ability. So you would get this at 18th level, and then at 19th level, you get your last ASI, so you can change your blind fighting fighting style to another fighting style. Right. Anyway, last one is at 20th level Foe Slayer which is super underwhelming for a capstone ability. Once per turn, you can add your wisdom modifier to an attack or damage roll against a favored enemy. Again, wisdom's going to be your primary skill. So at 20th level, you're probably going to have anywhere between the 16 and 20 wisdom. So you're going to have a plus four, plus five. And so, I mean, that's not bad, but doing it only once a turn. And you have to choose whether it's to an attack or a damage roll. Right. And it only works against favored enemies. Yeah, there's potential there. It needs to be tweaked. So my proposed modification Mm -hmm. is when you attack a favored enemy, your damage dice explode. That sounds fun. So if you roll max damage on one of your damage dice, you get to re-roll it and add it to. And if you keep rolling max damage, you get to re-roll it and add it to. I like it. That is a fun mechanic. I love that. That's that's what Vorpal Swords used to do. That is a really fun mechanic. I like that. The thing I would come up with on my own is maybe you double your proficiency for your attack roll and possibly add proficiency to your damage. But Well, because we have the quarry die now, you're already getting an additional D10 on your attack and potentially your damage roll at least once a turn. Right. And that's another die that can explode. Right. At this point, I would want something that instead of like one thing that hit with like a D10, I would want to roll 2D6 or maybe even like 3D4 if possible. So yeah, I had better possibilities to explode dice, which could be a fun thing too. Now, are you going to hit with like one big hammer or one big axe or sword? Or are you going to try to maybe multi-attack, you know, maybe uh, dual wield was an option. So you have more chance to explode these dice. Well, what I would do is you would get something like flaming arrows or lightning arrow. Okay. That you cast it as a bonus action to add fire or lightning damage to your attack. Right. And then you make your ranged attack. Let's say you do that. You're fighting with a longbow, so you get a D10 from your longbow. You get a D10 from your quarry die. You get, was it 3D8 from lightning arrow or 4D6? I can't remember what the damage is for lightning arrow, but it's a bunch of dice. Yeah, and that's what we want to do. We want to throw dice because we want to maximize our chance for exploding. Yeah, and see, this affects every attack that you make against a favored enemy. Yeah, no, I like that. So if your second attack rolls max damage after you've already thrown everything onto that first one, you've thrown your lightning arrow on, you've thrown your quarry die on, and your second one hits and you roll max damage, then you get to explode that die. So that second attack could potentially deal more damage than the first one just because the die explodes. Right, so that lightning arrow is going to be a uh, 48. 4d8, yeah. So that would be 2d10 plus 4d8. Though it's listing this as a spell. It is a spell. I thought you meant like a flame arrow or something like that. But yeah, either way, you definitely want to be casting and rolling those dice. All right. So that's that is the base ranger. And now this is something Ian's been working on for a while. And again, like I've talked back and forth with Ian and thing. As we talked about, we had modifications. And so Ian went through and he actually initially was going to build just a secondary archetype and add a fourth archetype to the ranger list. And the more he worked on it, the more it felt that the ranger itself and the urban ranger are really two separate things. They're similar, but different. And so we went ahead and we collaborated and this is largely Ian's creation. So I'm not going to take credit for it because it's <laughs> wonderful. And he he's done all the footwork on this, but the urban ranger has since grown and kind of budded and split off kind of like a baby amoeba from the ranger class. And so we are going to present to you the urban ranger now. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, the urban ranger is one of my favorite class variants from third edition. It was in the Unearthed Arcana book, along with what eventually became translated into the Horizon Walker in fifth edition, a planes walking sort of ranger, because there was more cross planar stuff in third edition. And a lot of the features that were in the Urban Ranger class were completely changed from what was in the base ranger class. And they go through and they specifically say, you don't track. 
using your basic tracking skill. You get a new skill specifically for urban tracking and things like that because they were going for a completely different feel. You didn't have that connection to nature that a ranger does. You draw your power from civilization, from the urban environment around you. It's the hustle and bustle of the crowd. Yeah. You are truly an extrovert, which means you are an evil creature and we have to destroy you now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go ahead and get into it. It's still going to have the same hit dice. It's going to have the same proficiencies. The skill list is changed a little bit. I've changed it to choose three from acrobatics, athletics, deception, insight, investigation, medicine, persuasion, perception, and stealth. And again, these are more in line with an urban environment and more being street smart than being wily in the woods, I guess you would say. Woods-wise, that's what I was going for. (laughs) (laughs) You still get favored enemy, still has all the same enemy types that you can pick from, but you can also choose a faction or organization within the urban area as your favorite enemy. So this would be like if you were... In an insurrection group, you could choose the town guard as your favorite enemy. Or if you were more of a goody two-shoes type, you could pick the local thieves guild as your favorite enemy. If you had something kind of like along the lines of like Gangs of New York, you could pick a rival gang as your favorite enemy. And that would actually be an interesting DN campaign to run would be a gang warfare conflict within a city. That would actually have a lot of potential to be a lot of fun. If your city is at war with another city, you can pick that city's army as your favorite enemy. No, I like it. And then, as I mentioned, you get that quarry die. As part of your favorite enemy. So it starts off as a D4, improves to a D6 at 5th level, D8 at 11th level, D10 at 17th level. You can add it to checks to track your favorite enemy. You can add it to intelligence checks to recall information about your favorite enemy. You can add it to perception or investigation checks that you make within the layer of a favorite enemy. And you have to know you're in a favorite enemy's layer to do that. And you can add it to attack rolls. And if the attack roll hits, then... You also get to add that to the damage. Okay. And again, whenever you gain a level, you can swap out one of your favorite enemies. And you have to swap them out like for like. So if you have a creature type, you have to swap it out for another creature type. If you have a faction, you have to swap it out for another faction. That's fair. Next up is Urban Explorer. So this is replacing the Natural Explorer. You get the same sorts of abilities. Whenever you're making an Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma check within a civilized area. So from a little hamlet town with like five hovels clustered together all the way up to the biggest city, you know, Waterdeep or Neverwinter or Baldur's Gate. Your proficiency bonus is doubled whenever you're using a proficient skill. Okay. So you get expertise with your mental stat checks that you're proficient in. You can't use it on athletics or acrobatics or any of strength decks con stuff. Okay. You can use Wisdom Investigation in place of Wisdom Survival to track in an urban environment. That is, you know, being able to read the patterns of flow of foot traffic, seeing the layout of the town and figuring out, okay, if he got away from me, that is the most likely way for him to go. You're doing a Sherlock Holmes instead of a Dr. Livingston. Yeah, absolutely. You can use Wisdom instead of Charisma for proficient deception, intimidation, or persuasion checks to gather information about locations, individuals, or events within the same urban location. Okay. So if you're asking around town, you can use your wisdom instead of charisma. Yeah, no, I like this. And basically, like I alluded to before, this is just changing all of your nature knowledge and your outdoorsing stuff for basically street smarts. Yes, because Streetwise was a skill in 4th edition that I really wish still existed. Yeah, that was one of the few things 4th edition did correctly. (laughs) Other than, you know, giving birth to 5th edition, which was also a good thing. Right, so your group can't become lost except by magical means. That's the same in both. You automatically know either the shortest, the fastest, or the safest path from your current location to your destination. And as a DM, I would make them choose, okay? Absolutely. What's this? Okay, you can know one of these picks. Absolutely, yes. And then, again, even when engaged in another activity, you remain alert to danger, so you don't take disadvantage on perception checks whenever you're going through the city. Okay. If you're traveling alone, you can move stealthily at a normal pace. You're naturally aware of potential ambush locations, so you gain a plus five bonus to your passive perception, specifically for avoiding being surprised. Okay. 
So Bob's not going to be able to jump out of the alley and, and take you from behind. I like it. Well, Bob's going to have to be real good about it. Yeah. And then finally, when tracking other creatures, you also learn their exact number, their sizes, and how long ago they passed through the area. That is, again, pulled in from the Natural Explorer. Okay. No, I mean, those all make sense. I think those are all good translations to a developed urban environment versus the wilds. I like it. And then at sixth level, you get to add half your proficiency bonus to any intelligence, wisdom, or charisma check you make that you're not proficient in. Okay. And at 10th level, you get to add your full proficiency. So you get to treat all your non-proficient mental skills as proficient whenever you're in the city. Okay. And that's at 10th level. And again, that's being in your favorite environment. I kind of like that because your favorite environment is, in fact, the city. Yeah. And because of that, I didn't want to do what Natural Explorer did and give you additional favorite terrains. Because the city is your favorite terrain. Exactly. Your favorite terrain never changes. Yeah. Because that's tied into the identity of the class. Yes. No, I like that. That's a good. All right. So fighting style. All the ones that we have listed before, I added interception from Tasha's, where if you have a shield or a weapon equipped, you can reduce the damage a creature within five feet of you takes by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus as a reaction. Okay. I added unarmed fighting. So you can choose to have your unarmed attacks deal 1d6 plus your strength or dex mod on a hit. If you're not carrying any weapons or shield, it becomes a d8 instead. And you automatically deal a d4 bludgeoning damage at the start of your turn if you're grappling a creature. Because sometimes you or your DM just want a good old-fashioned bar brawl. And that's just a fun one to have. (laughs) Yeah, and that one was also from Tasha's. The other ones that are just default archery, blind fighting, defense, dueling, thrown weapon fighting, two-weapon fighting. And then I added one of my own. I'm calling it underhanded fighting. Basically, you can do a 1d6 sneak attack. Yeah, I like this. So again, that whole dirty fighting's a thing. You know, if you're fighting fair, you're fighting wrong is a fun statement that I grew up with. And this kind of helps mesh or move that ranger where, you know, if I was going to throw some shade and saying that the ranger wants to be a druid, this urban ranger's going to reflect more the rogue. And again, yes. being in an urban environment, that fits perfectly. All right. Spell casting, they still get spells starting at second level. It works just the same. It is wisdom based. I have a completely different spell list. I'm not going to go through all of it at the end, but I will go through a couple of the notable additions to the spell list. Okay. Third level, you pick your archetype. You could choose any of the ranger archetypes because the structure is the same. So you could pull any of the published ranger archetypes and slot them in. Okay. But we did also come up with three additional archetypes for the urban ranger. There is the exterminator, there is the thief catcher, and there is the vigilante. And we'll touch on each of those a little bit when we get to the end of the base class. At third level, in place of primeval awareness, you get situational awareness. I did this spell level plus wisdom modifier. For that many minutes, you can be aware of all of those creature types within the same village, town, city, or urban area. Okay. You're able to determine general direction, but not distance or number. If they're your favorite enemy, you're able to tell the general distance within 100 feet to any creatures within one mile and are able to tell the number of creatures in a location within 150 feet. Okay. I think, I don't know, 150. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Because, I mean, 150 feet, you should be able to put eyes on something and be able to count one, two, three, generally. Yeah. Unless they're hidden or shrouded by something. So, I mean, that could help. And this will let you say, okay, there's five guys on the other side of this door. Right. No, that's perfect. And that makes a lot of sense, especially in an urban environment. You know, you got people hiding behind the walls or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. I like it. So starting at fourth level, you get your ASIs, standard distribution, 4, 8, 12, 16, 19. Fifth level, you get your extra attack, just like normal. At eighth level, in place of land stride, you get parkour. That's just a fun name. I love it. Well done naming this one. (laughs) So while within an urban environment, you get a climb speed equal to your movement speed and non-magical difficult terrain costs you no extra movement. You also gain advantage on dexterity saving throws to avoid non-magical hazards such as ball bearings, grease, or caltrops. That's great. I know as a mage and a wizard, people like to cast that grease spell. And that would be a great one just to be like, nope. (laughs) The grease spell is magical. Yeah, okay. So it wouldn't work on the grease spell. Oh, okay, gotcha. It will work on mundane grease. If someone just, you know, pours out a tub of melted lard on the ramp. Right, you know, Larry Moe and Curly throw out that banana peel. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And in addition, whenever you use your action to dash, you may make a single weapon attack as a bonus action. Ooh. So that way you can run and jump, use your action to climb up the side of the building, and, and then once you get in. up to the top, use your bonus action to shoot somebody. Okay. That kind of has a bit of a swashbuckler feel, but I like it. And again, I think it fits. It's that very mobile, quick feel to everything. Yeah. Okay. No. Great. At 10th level, it's blend into the crowd. That is for placing hide in plain sight. So you get to disguise yourself or a willing creature. It takes one minute to use it. And the hidden creatures get a plus 10 bonus to their stealth checks and can hide as a bonus action while within five feet of two other humanoids who are not also attempting to hide. So when you're walking through a crowded street, you just passively get that plus 10 bonus, that pass without a trace without casting pass without a trace. So yeah, this has that feel if you've played the original Assassin's Creed, where you could run into the line of walking monks and blend in with them. Now again, that one minute time to create does that count with that when you're trying to to hide in with a group do you still have to spend that minute to do it or no no okay perfect once you have your disguise okay you can hide as a bonus action okay perfect so you lose this benefit if you move faster than half your normal movement speed or if you're seen making an attack or casting a spell and at that point you have to break line of sight and hide again to regain the benefit yeah that very much has that assassin's creed feel and i loved that mechanic in the game that was always a lot of fun So it lasts for an hour or until the creature removes the disguise as an action. Okay. 14th level, stake out. I like stakes. You gain advantage on stealth checks to hide in urban environments when obscured by half or three quarter cover or by dim light or darkness. Okay. While undetected, you gain advantage on perception checks to see or overhear creatures within 30 feet of you. And additionally, you can't be tracked by non-magical means unless you choose to leave a trail. This is going to be that eavesdropping skill. You're going to kind of come in and you're not trying to do anything. This is you trying to glean information from a person or trying to track them down. So you think, yeah, I mean, this is... This is what that shady character is doing in that darkened corner of the bar. Exactly. They are totally popping out the stakeouts. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. 18th level, eyes in the back of your head. This is what gives you your 30 feet of blindsight. Okay. It's the same ability. I just renamed it to fit in the theme. That works. And then at 20th level, defender of the city. Again, whenever you attack a favored enemy, your damage dice explode. Yeah, exploding dice. No, I love it. And again, you put a lot of thought into these. They all fit really well. They're different enough to fit the urban environment and not being just a whole copy paste. And again, some of those improvements that we we discussed with the Ranger class kind of buffs these up. I think if I was going to play an urban campaign, this would definitely be high on my consideration of classes to roll out. All right. So now let's get into our archetypes real quick. Alrighty. First up is the exterminator. So the exterminators work to keep urban environments free from the vermin and other wildlife that may prove hazardous to the health and well-being of the city. From rats in the sewers to snakes in the canals to hornets under the eaves to razor vine climbing up brick facades, the exterminator is the one that they call in to take care of it. Okay. At third level, you get the ability rat catcher. So you can choose beasts, monstrosities, or plants as an additional favorite enemy creature type. I like it. And you also get to ignore a swarm's immunity to being restrained when you use a net to attempt to restrain it. You can use nets to catch swarms. Yeah, I like it. This, again, is your rat catcher or your dog man, you know, your animal control person. And in a city, this is going to be a very much needed role, especially for a base for your player to take off with. And then depending on the type of campaign you're going to run, particularly if you have like a bunch of goblins or kobolds trying to invade the city somehow, or you're going to have sappers or people trying to infiltrate, this rat catcher is very much going to be a strong character and kind of sussing that out and figuring out what's going on. Yeah. The other thing you get at third level is exterminator magic. So you get an expanded spell list. Third level, you get purify food and drink. Fifth level, you get spider climb. Ninth level, you get stinking cloud. Thirteenth level, you get blight. 17th level, you get Cloud Kill. Nice. Because you're an exterminator. That is literally a bug bomb. (laughs) Yeah, it kind (laughs) of (laughs) is. At 13th and 17th level, that's Roundup and a bug bomb. Yep, I like it. And then, you know, Spider Climb so you can get up into the attics or into the crawl spaces or wherever you have to go to deal with the things. Okay. Yeah. And I did specifically make sure that all of these expanded spell lists did not include spells that were already included in the class because that always 
feels a little off to me. Like you just automatically get one of the spells off of your spell list that you could have gotten anyway. Anyway, seventh level, you get efficient culling. So if you attack a swarm of creatures who are one of your favorite enemy creature types, which I may just change this to if you attack a swarm of creatures, you can ignore the swarm's resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Okay. So you get full effectiveness with your weapons against swarms. I like it. At 11th level, it's sanitation. Oh my. Due to the amount of time you spend crawling through the grime and muck, your immune system is more robust than others. You gain proficiency with a constitution saving throws and have advantage on saving throws against disease and poison. There is the old George Carlin skit that I'm sure inspired this. I will not quote it, but yeah. (laughs) Um, And then at 15th level, I really like this one. Enemies of my enemies. As an action, you may summon swarms of tiny beasts. The total combined CR of the summon swarms cannot exceed half your proficiency bonus, and the summon swarms have maximum hit points for their hit dice, and add your proficiency bonus to their AC, saving throws, attack rolls, and damage rolls. I like it. Again, the old swarm druids was something I enjoyed back in 3rd edition, so this can be fun. And this is borrowing from the swarm keeper a little bit, but also not quite. I just want to attack people with swarms of wasps. That's all I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just use swarm of insects. That's, I think, a CR one half. Yeah. So you could, using this ability, conjure five of them when you get it. Five swarms of wasps. Oh, my. Six swarms once you hit 17th level. Just give me some murder hornets. I'll be set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Summon swarms disappear after one minute or if they're reduced to zero hit points or you lose concentration on the ability. Okay. And then it just follows all of the same rules as all of the Conjure X spells. So swarms are friendly to you and your companions. They act on your initiative immediately after you. So I'm not having you re-roll initiative for them. Good. So they just act immediately after you on your turn. They obey any verbal commands you give them, no action required, to the best of their ability. You may only give one command at a time and all of your swarms will obey the same command. If you do not command them, they will defend themselves, but otherwise take no action. And once you've used this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. Okay. And that's the exterminator. I like it. That's got a good feel. It's got a good theme. I'm going to attack people with murder hornets. I'm good. Yeah, but you have to get to 15th level before you can attack people with murder hornets. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. This is what gets you to stay in Ranger mono class to 15th level. Exactly. Murder Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one is the Thief Catcher. This was originally called the Bounty Hunter, and James talked me out of it. So I summoned the memory of a favorite book series for both of us, but Bounty Hunter's overdone, and I don't know, Bounty Hunter has more of that Boba Fett or Dog the Bounty Hunter feel, where Thief Catcher was more more utilitarian it does feel better for the theme that i was going for it does and so where i got the term thief catcher from is from the wheel of time series i can never remember the character's name because i'm terrible at remembering names but there was a thief catcher character and he was more than just a bounty hunter he was an urban guard and he knew the landscapes and it was a catcher of people and not just someone hunting bounties. He did it for a purpose and a reason, not necessarily just to make money. And so I had that better, you know, service to the city type feel. Yeah. And so the thief catcher lumps together your traditional bounty hunter with more of the private detective sort of thing. So people like, you know, Harry Dresden, if you ignore all of his wizard stuff. Yeah. This is very much that noir private dick. Yes. Well, I mean, all dicks should be private unless there's consent. Just putting that out there. True. (laughs) Consent is important, y'all. Very important. All right. Getting into the Thief Catcher. At third level, the first ability you get is Subdue. So you gain proficiency in the athletic skill and have advantage on all strength athletics checks you make to initiate or maintain a grapple. Okay, makes perfect sense. You're going to grab your dude and hold him down. I like it. Yep. You also get Thief Catcher Magic at third level. The expanded spell list is Command at third level, Detect Thoughts at fifth level, Hypnotic Pattern at ninth level, Dimension Door at 13th level, and Scrying at 17th level. All thematically, I mean, they all fit. I mean, it's fairly obvious. So yeah, no complaints. At seventh level, you get non-lethal force. So while grappling another creature, you can attempt a second grapple as an action. If you're successful, the target becomes restrained instead of grappled. 
I love Restrained. Restrained um, is a huge thing. And that's one of those things we, we learned during our March Madness was the importance of being restrained. <laughs> the importance of being restrained, yes. If you use your action on each of your following turns to maintain that restraint, you automatically deal bludgeoning damage equal to your strength modifier plus your proficiency bonus. Okay. While restraining a creature in this way, your movement speed is halved, and you get the benefit of half cover from the restrained creature. Makes sense. So the creature that you're restraining gives you a plus two AC. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of that whole, you know, action movie trope of where they grab the bad guy and someone's going to shoot him from behind. So they turn him and they get shot instead. No, yeah, I like it. It is using your mark as a human shield. Yeah. I love the trope. Yeah. It's a medium shield. It's plus two. It's perfect. <laughs> At level 11, find your mark. When you target a creature with your hunter's mark, you are able to sense that creature's location precisely for the spell's entire duration. This effect ends if the spell ends or if the target is more than a mile away from you. Okay. Again, it's fair. You got to stay within range, but you're going to know. I would see something like this. I would want something like this, honestly, for the regular ranger as well, personally. I think that's just an improvement to hunter's mark, so I like it. It is. The spell only gives you the target's exact location with relation to you. It does not give you directions on how to get there. Right. So, for example, it will tell you that the creature is 20 feet below the street, but it won't tell you how to get into or navigate the sewers to get to them. Right. No, I like that. And again, this kind of reminds me, too, of the Dresden whenever he used his scrying spell. You know, it just pointed a straight direction yeah. where it was, but not how to navigate the streets. And so it does have that feel. So, yeah, no, well done. Yeah, that was a pretty big inspiration for this one. And then finally, at 15th level, Blackjack. And hookers? <laughs> when you attack a creature with an unarmed or melee weapon attack that deals bludgeoning damage, you can choose to make that damage non-lethal. So a creature reduced to zero hit points by non-lethal damage becomes unconscious but stable for one hour. You have to declare that the damage is non-lethal before you make the attack. And if you do that, you can't add your ability score modifier or your quarry die to the damage roll. Okay. It is specifically going to be whatever the weapon damage is. Right. And that was something I saw used a lot more in third edition yes. were attacks to knock out or disable your opponent versus outright just murder hobo them. And if your non-lethal attack reduces a creature to less than 20 hit points, the target must succeed on a constitution saving throw or fall unconscious. The DC is 25 minus their remaining hit points. That's dangerously close to Thacko, Ian. <laughs> no. Kind of a little bit. I mean, I love Thacko, but yeah, no, that's kind of the, that as it goes down. No, but I like that. And so it is a good thing, but I did, I did have to throw out that Thacko mention just because it does no, remind because me. Of it has nothing to do with hitting them. Right. But you're taking that down and you're actually subtracting their save versus it's well, the, again, the save gets more difficult the fewer hit points they have exactly so with thaco again your two hit becomes more difficult because your armor class actually was a lower armor class was a better thing in second edition but that's a complete again rabbits everywhere hey i went almost 30 minutes without chasing a rabbit show i'm proud okay <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one is the vigilante for everyone who wants to play daredevil or batman Aslam. yes i love batman i am batman at third level you get lone wolf so if you have no allies within 10 feet of you or your target, you get to add your wisdom modifier to your attack roll and your spell and weapon attacks score critical hits on 19 or 20. I like it. I like that improved critical range. That was something that popped up a lot more frequently in third edition as well that you don't yeah. see in fifth edition as much. Third level, you also get an expanded spell list. At third level, you get compelled duel. At fifth level, you get zone of truth. Ninth level, you get crusader's mantle. 13th level, you get Death Ward, and 17th level, you get Mislead. Ooh. So, yeah, like we said, pretty much, these make you Batman. These are really good if you're running a smaller campaign, if you only have, like, one or two other player characters, or if the party's split. Definitely fun. I mean, you could just go ahead and roll out your whole Justice League and do it that way. That could be a lot of fun. That would actually be kind of a fun campaign. kind of want to see it almost. I don't think I'd be able to play it properly, but I kind of want to see it done. So, yeah. If you decide to roll out Justice League, please let us know. Let us know how the game goes, because I definitely want to be an observer to this. <laughs> Seventh level, meet out justice. Due to your single-minded tenacity, your favored enemies have disadvantage on saving throws against your spells and abilities. 
I like it. Yeah, it's simple. It's quick. It does what it says on the tin. Elegance is a thing. At 11th level, it's stand against injustice. When you're hit by a spell or weapon attack from a favored enemy, you may use your reaction to make a single weapon attack against that creature. Okay. So I don't know if it was actually in third edition. I think there was the actual parry feat, but I remember it most from Neverwinter Nights. You had the parry feat. And again, Neverwinter's Night was based largely off of third edition where you could choose not to attack and then you would roll against the player's attack. And if you rolled higher than a certain amount, you would counterattack. So that kind of attack, counterattack, I like that utility. It feels good. So I think, I think, I think that was repost. Was it repost? Okay. I think. I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've dug through the third edition books. It's been a little while, unfortunately. And then finally, at 15th level, Judge Jury Executioner. I am the law. Sorry, when I you don't. reduce a favorite enemy to zero hit points, you may immediately make a weapon attack with advantage against another favorite enemy within range. It's almost like a cleave, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Because I'm sure there's a cleave in 5th edition, but I've not really seen it pop up. I'm wanting to say that it's part of Great Weapon Master. Okay, that might be it. And it's just because feats are so less used in 5th edition than 3rd. 3rd was all about the feats. That being said, you know, there was some releases, upcoming material from Wizards, and with the Realms of Cairn expansion or books that they're coming out, there's going to be a few more feats coming out, which I'm going to be interested in seeing how they play out. Yeah, great weapon master. On your turn, if you score a critical hit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, you can make one melee weapon attack as a bonus action. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So there's that. Like I said, I'm not going to go through the entire spell list because that's like 80 spells (laughs) i will touch on some of the ones that i did pull out i pulled out charm person and comprehend languages from the bard list i did pull a lot from the bard list and some from the cleric and paladin list again the bards are going to have a lot more of that urban environment anyway yes and that was part of where i was getting all that second level you've got alter self you've got calm emotions hold person silence I also had a knock to the list because that makes that makes sense for an urban environment. It does. For a third level, added haste and slow and tongues because oh my. being able to communicate with everybody around you is important in a city. Strangely enough. So with fourth level, I added compulsion and summon construct. Summon construct specifically because of the constructed nature of the city. So that way you could do things like animate a statue or something. I like it, yeah. Just thematically. Right. And then at fifth level, you get animate objects, you get legend lore, and you get pass wall. Yeah, I mean, those all fit thematically. They all make sense. I don't have any glaring objections to any of those. And most everything else from the ranger list made it in. Some of the more notably nature-based ones didn't come across. Things like Goodberry. I didn't add Goodberry because that is a nature thing. Well, not useless, but wouldn't fit. But I mean, instead, I have create food and water from the cleric list. So, And again, that's a fair trade, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's not going to be as good as a good berry because it doesn't actually restore health, but it fits the theme. It does. All right. Well, that is the Urban Ranger. I've still got a couple little edits to do and some formatting to do on the document, but that should be up on our Patreon next week. Awesome. No, I really like how this turned out. I think it fits thematically with, again, your more urban environments, strangely enough. Again, I don't see any glaring omissions or anything that glaringly jars against, I guess, the actual or the wilderness ranger. But again, fit for the urban jungle. So I do like how it's rolled out so far. And I did specifically mention that, you know, you can use any of the ranger archetypes in the urban ranger. They will fit. Yes, and I think that was a good consideration you made. There are some that are going to fit more thematically than others. So like the Gloomstalker will work really well. Right. The Fey Wanderer may not. Right. I think the Beastmaster could, depending on how the player played it. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's all up to the player as it always is. But I think we built a good framework that's very usable and will be fun for story as well. So I'm going to be writing up my modified ranger class. That's going to be our free write up for this upcoming week. And then the urban ranger is going to be patron exclusive. Right. Okay. Perfect. So if you want to access that, come over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash taste, and it will be available to all patrons of any pledge level. Perfect. But I think that pretty well does it for today. 
I've got a couple other ranger archetypes, but we're running long today, so I'm not going to go into them this time. Yeah, no, we'll save those for another ranger episode because we definitely want to come back and touch up on some things later on as well. Yeah, I definitely want to get into potentially making your beast companion an actual class feature as opposed to an archetype feature for the beast master. Correct. We can definitely talk about that if we end up coming back and doing an episode where we talk about the beast heart. Right. Uh, MCDM's Ranger variant. So I think that's a good place for us to leave it for today. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under commentaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or YouTube. Search under common taste. We're also on Patreon, as I mentioned, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, I will have the Carquinos that we did with Mike from 19 Hits the Dragon, as well as the Croconymph from our interview with Christian from My Sound Delve last week. Excellent. Those were both fun. I'll hopefully have both of those written and up by the time this episode drops. Been kind of hectic at home lately, so I haven't had as much time to work on my write-ups as I would have liked, but that's okay. (laughs) Finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to the Discord in the show notes, and we'd really love to have some of you come on and chat with us because it is kind of quiet the last few days. Yeah. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you for finding us. You can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're on Apple, we're on Google, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify. Also hop on Discord if you have some ideas that you might want to hear or some things you might want to work out or some help, you know, kind of homebrewing some options. Toss those ideas up on our Discord. We can probably kind of brainstorm a little bit with you. We'd love to see what you come up with. Next week, we're going to be talking through some of the monsters that are available in the free sample for MCDM's new Kickstarter campaign. Flea Mortals. That is what it's called. Run Potatoes. Um, (laughs) They're doing a Kickstarter for a book on action-oriented monsters. Awesome. So I'm wanting to look at the sample monsters that they've put out for free, go through them a little bit, talk a little bit about what an action-oriented monster is, how to sort of modify existing published monsters to have more of an action-oriented feel. I love using action-oriented monsters. I love if X, then Y reactive things. Yes, It is something that I gleaned from Matt Colville's earlier YouTube videos, and it's something that I'm really excited to see them sort of trying to codify and get some more examples out. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. That is completely unsponsored. That said, if Matt Colville or James Intracasso wants to come on and talk to us about it, we will most definitely (laughs) have our emails open. But I think that's going to do it for today. Stay safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. Happy gaming. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.